Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the... Why is Episode my... 110. I, know, I, <laughs> I was just doing it. You were literally just doing it. Hi, well, everyone. I think it's because yeah. uh-huh. no, no. <laughs> yeah, let's let's power through. When I do it, I always do the blank episode. Yeah, and that yes, throws me off. And I do it the other way around. Right, so I'm gonna have to start doing. Mm-hmm. Welcome to episode 110 of the Professional, of Book, the Nerds professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, this is Adam and Jill. Hello, Jill. How are you? I'm great. You're great. <laughs> Oh man, good times. Um, it's hey regional weather talk. It's beautiful here in Cleveland. It is beautiful here in Cleveland. I've worn a tank top twice this week. It's, it's so nice. nice. Anyway, it's nice. Just gotta throw that in there. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking about the expert just talking about running like we several seconds running. ago. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know this, but Jill wrote a running memoir. It's called Running with a Police Escort. We haven't mentioned it in like twenty episodes. We have not mentioned it in a while. Probably not since it came out. No, so. so we should do that more often. Um, <laughs> anyway, the, this episode isn't about you and I and it our running not. adventures. What did we do for this episode? We Jill? got to interview John Scalzi. Yeah, we did. He was so fun. He was hilarious. He was. He was so much fun. Uh, this is something. Okay, I really liked. Not only was he fun and hilarious, and we got to meet him in person and, and all that good jazz, but I kind of realized we don't. We haven't interviewed a ton of science fiction authors. Correct. So it was really nice to get to talk to one, and we have a few more coming up uh, in the in the nearest nearish future. But I think science fiction is one of the genres where people get intimidated. They do. Um, and I admit that I used to get intimidated as well because you assume it's going to be things you don't understand and really heavy science. And we had a really great part of this conversation where he talks about. Hey, she gave us some like here are some introductory mm-hmm. books that he would recommend if you're just getting into science fiction. Um, he did a good job for saying his own books as well. He did, which he sh- which he should have done. Yes. Um, but yeah, we had, he's he writes sci-fi, he writes fantasy. Um, he did. He there's I I don't he tells this hilarious story about this kind of jokey book that he wrote, and I don't want to ruin the actual story, um, but it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to think what else we talked about that we can. Well, we got a lot spoil. of input from our coworker Quentin, yes. who appeared. He's appeared a couple times, but mm-hmm. I think his first appearance was on the sci-fi fantasy episode we did like way back when. Yeah, and I think like the majority of the books Quentin mentioned in that episode were John Scalzi books. It, yeah, so. John, John Scalzi is one of his favorite authors, and I will say in regards to Quentin, anytime I read a science fiction book. I go up to him and I say, I want to talk about this book because I'm assuming he's probably read it. Yeah. He's read all of them. So, um, but no, this was, John was in town on one of his, on a book tour. Um, and so we got to hang out at our home away from home at our local library here. Uh, shout out to Cuyahoga County Public Library. Um, should mention, because the book is available, the book that John was promoting is called The Collapsing Empire. And he, at the beginning of the podcast, We'll give you a good description of it, but 
it's it's we this is one I didn't get a chance to read ahead of time, but it sounds really fun. And it I does. definitely I am now a John's Causey fan for sure. Um also his cats have a Twitter account that have more followers than I know. Than I do or yeah. we do, which is upsetting. He's fun. Yeah. He's fun. He's um, from Ohio. He lives in Ohio. He always, does live in Ohio. Always a fun time there. Yes. Um if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com and find us on Twitter at ProBookNerds. Yes, they can. And I want to point out this weekend, if you listen to this when this comes out on Thursday, this weekend is Earth Day. And so if you want to be green and support Mother Earth, read an ebook and don't, you know, just, I'm just saying because paper and trees. You're giving me a weird look. Because I'm thinking electricity and... Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's a really good point. I'd never thought about that part. <laughs> oh man, go read an ebook under a tree. Listen, guys, we don't usually talk about holidays or celebrating on the podcast, and I took a chance and I missed. No, it's okay. <laughs> Swing and a miss. It's okay. Um, have you been reading anything fun? Yes, actually, uh, I got an advanced reader copy of Roxanne Gay's Hunger, a memoir of my body, which I was very excited about. I have a whole bunch of artworks happening. Um, and I was also reading, I've been reading um, Jessamyn Stanley's Everybody Yoga in anticipation of her coming almost exactly a month from I know. the time this episode comes out. Yeah, she'll be at Cuyahoga County um, May 18th. It's a Thursday. And I'm moderating her event. Yes, you are. So I've been reading. I've been reading her book too. I'm so excited for that. First off, you're also going. You're going to see Roxanne Gay. I am seeing Roxanne Gay in June. If you want to go and try and <laughs> swing an interview with her, that'd be. A, uh, I would love for you to come back from that event, Big. So I got a recorded interview with her. Hey man, I have it in, so it's possible. Yes, you do. You should. You should work that angle. <laughs> um, but no, I'm so excited for you, for the Jessamine one because I am traveling throughout like all of may and june and i was so upset and then i realized that you're doing it like the one day i'm in town yeah. so i actually have to come watch so yeah. i'm very excited and i've told you multiple times i'm going to be like the awkward person I in the know. crowd like i have a question but I it's know. for jill it's for jill <laughs> not 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 the author we're here to all see um i just finished reading the second book in the summoner series i talked about this oh, a little bit mm-hmm. he so taryn matharu is one of the fierce reads authors who we will be uh moderating that panel for and oh my god it's so much it's so fun and it ends on a cliffhanger and i they didn't send us the third one because it's not out just yet (laughs) i don't want to pout to our publisher friend like can you send me an arc of that one too um but it's they're so good i can't recommend them highly enough and then what i'm reading right now is by cursed uh by Kristen orlando it's called you don't know my name and it's all about spies and there's these two international spies who are married to each other and their daughter has also being trained to be a spy. Yes. And so it's amazing. all about the daughter. I just started it last night and I was up super late. I wasn't expecting I was just like, I'll just read a chapter of yeah. it. And then I was like a third of the way through the book and I looked up and it was like one thirty and I was like, Oh boy, gotta gotta go to bed. But um yeah, that's called You Don't Know My Name. We'll talk more about the Fear Street stuff coming up, but all four of the authors who are coming are really cool. I'm really excited. Yeah, there's so, some good stuff happening. Um so that's all of the things we'll be doing in the near future, I think. Right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Um anything else? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Alright, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this. John Scalzi was super fun and if you're not familiar with his work or you're not a science fiction reader or you don't think you are, 
don't give up. Uh, take a listen to this before you decide if you want to read them or not. And I think he will sway you to the idea that science fiction could be really Agreed. awesome. So, yeah. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Adam and Joe from Team Overdrive, and today we're joined by John Scalzi, simply put, one of the most popular and acclaimed science fiction authors of all time. His best-selling series, Old Man's War, has won several major awards and appeared on NPR's Top 100 Science Fiction and Fantasy Books. He's the former president of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, and his latest novel, The Collapsing Empire, was released on March 21st. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. So would you mind starting us off by telling us a little bit about The Collapsing Empire and what it's about? Well, the basic idea of it is that there is a galactic empire, uh, and it, it kind of people get around through it uh, through something that's called the flow, which is uh, very simply speaking, kind of like a river through space that allows faster than light travel. It's much more complicated than that, <laughs> sure, I should say. Sure. But what a wonderful, very simply speaking, <laughs> that's a perfect way to, to summarize. But yeah. just to let you know, it's much more complicated <laughs> in the book. But be that as it may, um, so what happens in the course of the book is that they discover that this river that they've depended upon, that they've always sort of taken for granted that will always be there, um, is metaphorically shifting its banks. And mm-hmm. civilization is going to be left high and dry. Mm-hmm. And and so the question then becomes, what next? And that's basically uh, the start of the book, which will itself be uh, the start of a series that will go at least a couple couple more books. Okay. Okay. And so that's actually something I wanted to ask you about. Do you, when you write the first book of a series, did you, did you know, do you know like right now how long you want this particular series to play out? Well, one of the interesting things about the book is it's called The Collapsing Empire. And so it really does imply that sooner or later the empire yeah, has empire to, going collapse. to collapse. So there, there is, there is likely to be a finite ending of it. In in the contract that I signed for it, um, it was uh, scheduled to be at least two books. Mm-hmm. Right now, my thinking is it will probably be three. Yeah. Um, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, obviously, if the book series becomes massively successful, then uh, I think my publisher <laughs> will come back to me and say, <laughs> "We know it has to collapse." But can it collapse more slowly? <laughs> the rebuilding of the collapsing empire. Right, right, exactly. It's like how do we how do we stretch this one out because we got a good thing going on here. Um, but uh, honestly, I mean, this is actually I have a, a couple of series. I mean, I have the Old Man's War series, right. which has gone on for six books now. Uh, I have another series uh, in uh, called Lock In and its sequel, which I'm currently writing. Um, but this is the first time that I've actually intentionally gone in knowing that I was going to write a series. The rest mm-hmm. of the time, it was just one book, and then that book became popular, so they ah. said, write more. Yeah. Um, but this time, since I knew I was going in and writing a series, um, it did leave me the ability to uh, set things up to pay them off in, yeah. in future books. And you have to be careful with that because you don't want people going, I got half a book here, right. where's the other half? You want to get make sure that they get everything that they you know come to a book for. Um, but it was kind of exciting to go to leave these sort of cliffhangers mm-hmm. in the text and go. You will find out. <laughs> we'll see if the we'll see if my uh, my fan base actually wants to strangle me now. <laughs> no, I have to say um, when we talk to the sci-fi and fantasy writers, I feel like you earn the right 
to make a story a full series because you have to spend a lot of your first novel literally building a world yeah. for the most part sure. or a universe. So I always wonder that. I'm like, is it more about the building of the world first and then saying, all right, I'm going to kind of run with this until the well runs dry. But in my mind, you always get at least a couple of books as a a science fiction writer because you have to kind of set the groundwork. Well, I think there's two ways of looking at that. I think that there's kind of two ways generally. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a very, very sort of uh, uh, overarching sense, there are two ways to to do things. You build the world Um, and then you run an adventure through it, right. sort of like a D&D campaign through uh-huh. your universe. Um, or you create the story and then you build just enough universe around it mm-hmm. um, to support the story. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I'm in the second camp mm-hmm. uh, where I build my universes. I like to say I build them two questions deep, uh, which means if you ask me a question, why does it work this way? Well, because of this. Well, well how about this? Then I give you an answer. And then mm-hmm. if you ask me the third one, I'll go, <laughs> I don't know. I was just, I had to write this book on a deadline and I, <laughs> and I was, you know, I had a hundred thousand words. Maybe we'll answer it later. Mm-hmm. But, um, but this is the first time again where I sort of built out the universe a little more extensively mm-hmm. because I knew that I would be coming back to it. Sure. Um, and in that case, and then ran this particular adventure through it. So do you think you have a little bit more flexibility then in storytelling since you have like future books that you could, you know, when you write like a single book, you have to cover it all in mm. that single book. With this, knowing it's going to be a series, is there some flexibility in storytelling or narrative? I think there is some flexibility knowing that you are going to come back, that you are contractually obligated to come right. back. That said, I don't know that if you are doing a one-off book that you have to explain everything in the universe. I don't That's think, true. I don't think that it's something that you absolutely have to do. You have to explain enough that you can get through the story. But there is some advantage, actually, to not answering every single question. For one thing, it makes the book shorter and more manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is um, authors write books, but books are in dialogue with the reader as well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of questions I don't answer, um, the, the uh, readers are going to sort of answer in their own heads. Right. Like, I'll go and do an event, and someone will say, why did you do it this way, or what, what do you, what do you, what's going on here? You didn't explain it. And I, was, and I will go, what do you think is happening? And they always go, well, here's what I think. <laughs> and they've got, it, they've got it specked out. And, yes. uh, and I'll be, like, sitting there going, taking notes, like, yes. <laughs> Yes. No, I'm not taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the fact that they are that they are engaged is partly because you don't over-explain everything. You do leave some stuff uh, to the imagination, which lets them go where they want to go with it. And in some ways, for a writer, is really useful because um, if you get a lot of fan feedback saying, well, I want to know more about X or Y or mm-hmm. Z, uh, when it comes time, if it becomes time uh, to write a sequel, um, that suggests an avenue that you can go down. All right, so we have, in a little bit, we have some, we'll call them Scalzian questions, some more very specific to you and your work. Very specific. I was actually thinking of that as you guys were talking. I was hoping it would work. I wasn't sure until I said it. I still don't think it did. <laughs> um, but, so you mentioned being in, you know, at an event. We're at a library right now where, in a little bit, you're going to speak with a number of your fans who are very, they know your work and they are, sure. they love science fiction and things like that. We're fortunate uh, as a podcast to have listeners who read across all genres. Sure. So for people who maybe have never taken a step into science fiction yet as they you know this this feels like a great question to ask you as the former American or the president of the you know science fiction and fantasy writers of, of America what to you makes a good science fiction novel 
Well, I mean, think there's a lot of things that are going on. And I also have to say that what is a good science fiction novel will often depend on the audience. Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, one of the reasons I do what I do um, and one of the reasons that Tor is happy with me is because I do a lot of writing that is basically gateway science fiction, right. mm -hmm. which is for people who have not necessarily tried science fiction before, mm -hmm. um, but are, are kind of, you know, science fictionally curious, as it were. And I have a, I have a writing secret, which is that um, the person I keep in mind while I'm writing is my mother-in-law, uh -huh. who is not a science fiction reader, yeah. but is going to read my stuff because I am her son-in-law and sure. she loves me. <laughs> So, uh, but my, my idea is if I can write it so that Dora can uh, understand it while at the same time getting across everything else that I want, then that's good gateway science fiction because literally anyone can read it. Mm -hmm. um, so for someone who is science fictionally inexperienced, mm -hmm. I might be a good science fiction writer. Now, there might be some people who have been reading science fiction for 30 or 40 right. years and they are not necessary. They're not going to not appreciate what I write, but mm -hmm. that's good. They're going to be like, ah, a lot of training wheels on that uh -huh. one. I'm going to go for the harder stuff. So you'll get something uh, like uh, Charlie Strauss, mm -hmm. who has done some really, you know, uh, I, I call it like graduate level science mm -hmm. fiction, which is wonderful. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, you, you need to be a little bit further up on your science fiction tropes and stuff uh, to get everything that he's throwing at right. you. It's still enjoyable if you've never mm -hmm. read science fiction before. I don't want to make uh, it sound like uh, Charlie's like, no, not for you, because <laughs> he would he would strangle me if he uh, heard me say something like that. But I do think uh, he is writing um, for uh, a crowd that... Uh, knows more a little bit more about the science fiction mm -hmm. and then you have stuff like um uh china mieville mm -hmm. who's doing stuff like new weird mm -hmm. um and that uh, is something where you begin to have shifting audiences because not only are you getting science fiction audiences but you're getting literary audiences mm -hmm. jeff vandermeer uh who has a book coming out called born he's he's another one who's in that that area mm -hmm. as well and then you come back around to uh, people like Nora Jemison uh, and Anne Leckie, mm -hmm. uh, who are uh, basically kind of breaking new ground uh, in a lot of uh, ways in the science fiction and fantasy genre mm -hmm. um, and are being immensely rewarded to it. They both won mm -hmm. uh, Hugo Awards mm -hmm. recently. Um, and uh, so what I like to think is um, somebody who writes gateway fiction um, Someone will read that and go, wow, this is interesting. And then we get to say, well, if you like that, yeah. then here you go. Because then they find out that it's not scary. Right. So there's no one right way mm -hmm. to go back to your question. There's no one right way to write good science fiction. Uh, what matters is um, that you're writing something that engages people, engages their imagination, makes them want to explore the universe mm -hmm. uh, or the world that you've created, want to imagine more in that world or universe, uh, and basically lets them, for the space of a book, um, go to new places mm -hmm. and really sort of uh, find uh, a dimension mm -hmm. That they wouldn't have experienced otherwise. So I was I was gonna ask for a an example of one that you would offer up as an introduction, but you just gave a bunch. So instead, <laughs> I'm just gonna ask. Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember the you, you led yourself? Did it perfectly. Do you remember like the first sci-fi book that you read that kind of captured your 
imagination? I believe the very first one I read, or at least the very first one I remember, was Farmer in the Sky, mm-hmm. um, which was by Robert Heinlein. Um, and I believe I read it in third or fourth grade. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd had picture books and, sure, and sure. stuff like that before. But um, so it went from Robert Heinlein and then I think very quickly after that, uh, Wrinkle in Time by Madeline mm, Langle. Absolutely. Uh, the Dark is Rising ser- series by Susan Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then I tried reading Dune. Uh, I think I was like 10 or 11. I was like, I'm going to have to come back. <laughs> That's understandable. <laughs> but I came back to that later. But um, but those were the three who were, I, I think, really formative for me when I was, was younger. Heinlein and Madeline Langle and Susan Cooper. Um, they, they were yeah. just wonderful, wonderful uh, introductions to the genre. I have to say, yesterday we had an interview with an author, and she was giving me a hard time for reading The Outsiders in, like, third or fourth grade, and you just said you tried to read Dune at 10, so I feel a lot better. There, is, lot better. there is nothing wrong with reading The Outsiders in the third yeah, grade. what right? I said. There you go. I'm going to I'm gonna defend your right <laughs> What's the to do that. Yeah. Stay um, gold, pony boy. Yeah, exactly. yeah it's so sad. <laughs> uh, um, so, obviously, the, the science fiction and fantasy writers of America as a genre is sort of like those two genres tend to get lumped together sure. sometimes. Um, and we've talked about it on podcasts. We've done genre podcasts about the two of those um, genres. How would you define the difference between the two of them? I have a very jokey one, uh, <laughs> which is uh, I say to the protagonist, you know, hey, that, uh, that thing in your pocket <laughs> You know, that allows you to do, uh, you know, incredible things. What is it powered by? Uh, and if they say, well, it's powered by a plutonium nugget that actually uh, will last for about 10,000 years before the half-life causes it to decay into <laughs> less than usefulness, then that's science, science fiction. fiction. Oh, Whereas if they say, it was forged in the Mount Pelotus <laughs> by the elves, then that's fantasy. Um, oh my God! Yeah, but that's pretty much exactly yeah, how that's it is. Pretty much what it is. More, you know, <laughs> kind of a more accurately, the difference between science fiction and fantasy is that basically science fiction presumes mm-hmm. a rational basis, sure. where fantasy presumes a magical basis, um, and there's lots of mixing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the dirty secret, which is because um, we in science fiction and fantasy because we're nerds and because nerds love to classify have classification we wars do, yeah. oh yeah oh yeah um and here's here's the dirty secret which is that there is the overarching um uh you know uh family um which is fantasy mm-hmm. and then in there you have fantasy again and science fiction and horror and some people like to call that overarching fantasy they will like to say no no that's speculative fiction mm-hmm. and it's like Right, fantasy. <laughs> Science fiction is a part of fantasy. Right. You know what we generally consider fantasy is part, part of, of it. Fantasy. fantasy as well. Horror is part of fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all it's all part of fantasy, which mm-hmm. um, should not make uh, fantasy people smug, um, but uh, but definitely means sometimes we are. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I like but if we is like a. I'm a fantasy. I, I mean, I read a little bit of science fiction, but yes, I'm a fantasy, and there right. is, for whatever reason, but, but it, genres get a bad rap regardless. Yeah. yeah. But. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, but genres have always gotten a bad mm-hmm. rap, and it hasn't just been science fiction or fantasy. Westerns were like, why would you, why would you read the uh, romance, which is forty percent of the market, which is yeah. huge, you know, um, is uh, looked down all the time, and mm-hmm. I'm like, if there were not a 
uh, romance market, the publishing world would look vastly different. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, we're basically all riding on uh, romance's coattails. Yep. And, yeah. And uh, it's it's amazing the number of people who don't actually realize that from a commercial yeah. basis. Yep. No, that's true. Thank you, romance writers. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back into your personal work, there seems to be a lot of parallels between the old man's war universe and honestly kind of current events. There's lots of human beings are very, they've turned in kind of isolationists in, sure. in the old man's war. And, you know, lately there's been a lot of nationalist movements kind of all around the world. And this actually came from a good friend of ours, Quentin, who we have a couple of questions of. But he is fascinated by the fact that, you know, obviously you wrote all these things before our current sure. global, you know, events. So he really wants to know, did you see all of this coming or was it, I don't want to say that it was... Are you a wizard? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of fantasy and science fiction. Wow, if I had seen it coming, I would have uh, adjusted my stock mm-hmm. uh, holdings a lot. <laughs> Um, no, I didn't see it coming, but the, the simple fact of the matter is uh, humans are humans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we improve our technology, uh, we do lots of different things, but human beings are running the same software that we were running 30,000 and 40,000 mm-hmm. years ago. Um, so, um, you know, basically it's not that hard to imagine uh, humans as. Uh, tribal and you know yeah. short-term thinkers and you know we'll solve we'll let somebody else solve that problem we're just going to solve our problem today um, I'm sad um, that reality is coming in line to for example the worlds of old man's war because I intentionally wrote um, that uh, universe uh, the colonial union is basically uh, a relatively benign but authoritarian uh, setup and it becomes less benign as as things go mm-hmm. on uh, in the in that series um, and I don't think that anybody who reads the the series over time realizes that that's not a great state of affairs right. for humans because it's making us sequestered away and and vulnerable and and things are dumb um, and things have to change. Now, we are in the, at the moment in kind of an interesting uh, place in our politics and in our history. It's very rare that you really do sort of look around and go, yep, this is going to be in the history books, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for better or for worse. Right. And it is what it is. And, um, you know, and it, it can be frustrating, but it is, again, the reminder, uh, we're running the same software we ran 30,000 years ago. It's, it's That's going to be hard to upgrade. So... I can't claim uh, any great prescience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm merely and unfortunately an observer of the human condition. And, and humans are, are running to spec. <laughs> They're just doing what they do. You know, I thought we would be better. No, <laughs> not so much. No, not. not so much. We're, We're not. not. Um, which sounds depressing. Um, but, you know, there's the flip side of that, too, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the pendulum does swing. I mean, um, I'm not one of those people. You know, there are people running around and it's like, you know, well, now, you know, at least we're going to get some great art from this. You know, it's like, no, we would have gotten great <laughs> yeah. art no matter what. The art would be there either way. <laughs> yeah, no one said, trust me, we would have had just <laughs> fine art. But, um, but the fact is, is that, um, you know, for every action, there is a reaction. Mm-hmm. We are living in an internally, uh, eternally Hegelian system where uh, things are uh, 
forever changing, forever synthesizing, mm-hmm. forever moving forward. I think things are going to get better, um, but we have to get through what we're going through now, and that's just the way it is. Sure. So I'm going to read this. You should read this one verbatim. Okay. I'm going to read the question. I won't go through the whole thing, but so this is also from our, our coworker, Quentin. Okay. Can you please, please, please write an entire the Shadow War of the Night Dragons, the Dead City novel? <laughs> Again, this one's this a little... This a little context. This one's I a little inside baseball but yeah. <laughs> a little inside baseball. Um, so six years ago, 2011, mm-hmm. um, Tor uh, wanted to do a practical joke. Uh, on tour.com, which is their mm-hmm. right. uh, commercially facing website. Um, and so they wanted to do a joke where I would announce a three book series of fantasy because I normally write science right. fiction, but now I'm going to go into fantasy. Sure, sure. Um, and, um, and they would have me write a prologue, quote unquote prologue, um, which was meant to be absolutely ridiculous. Um, and so I was like, yes, I will do that. And so I wrote this short story that was the fake prologue. The first sentence was 155 so words good. long, uh, uses the word black 11 mm-hmm. times. The second sentence is even longer. And the third sentence is, which is to say, it was a dark and stormy night. So good. And so, and so we put it out on April 1st. And, you know, of course, 90% of the people got it. Mm-hmm. Right. right? Uh, but the 10%, the 10% that didn't were like, my gosh, this is this is terrible yet amazing. But and and the thing is, is that I got like a phone call from, or I got an email, excuse me, an email from someone who was like, I would like to interview you, and I'm like, okay, well, send me your questions. And the, all the questions were like, you're moving into fantasy now with this just announced three book. And I'm like, and I had to write back, is like, dude, dude, check the date, dude. You really have to check the date on this. And but that wasn't the only thing. What happened was then later on, my agent calls me up. And he goes, are you sitting down? And I'm like, no. And he's like, you better sit down. So I sit down. He says, that April Fool's thing that you sent, we have Hollywood interest. And I'm like, you're kidding me. <laughs> and it, But no, it was like, he was like, they were very serious about wanting to see uh-huh. a galley when it was done. I was like, well, what did you tell them? And he says, I told them that it was an April Fool's joke. And I was like, you fool. <laughs> We could have gone all the way with this. Um, and so in, and we did it a couple. And next year we said they're going to be a, a manga series. And the year after that we did a fake musical <laughs> with Paul and Storm. Um, and we had sort of run fallow since then. Uh, but, but people do ask me. They're like, hey, Shadow War of the Night Dragons. You know, you should do that. Should do that. And part of me doesn't disagree. Part of me thinks yeah. it would be really fun just to write it and... Absolutely. Not make a big deal about it on like an on April Fool's, just put it out, mm-hmm. and people will be like, "Wait a minute, wait a minute! Oh my God, this is a real book! <laughs> oh my God, how did this happen? Oh my gosh!" Well, you could do what you've done. I know in the past a little bit. I've seen on your website. Like you could just kind of have a pay whatever you want for this type of a book. I suppose, <laughs> you know, but the thing is, is that so the three thousand sh- uh, word short story that I wrote mm-hmm. was farce, right? right? Mm-hmm. And it was just it was meant to be ridiculous. And it was 3,000 words long, and it could not have been a single word longer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because farce <laughs> is very difficult yes. to write. And so what people are asking for is, like, that 3,000 words that were perfect, do that over 90,000 words. And I'm like, that's a lot <laughs> of work, and it, won't be, and it won't be as funny as you think yeah. it is. So we would, have to do, we would have to do something else. But it got nominated for a Hugo, which I thought I, was 
love that was was both wonderful and absolutely ridiculous i was and you never you very rarely hear people say this i was hugely hugely relieved not to win <laughs> the Hugo for that um, so I, I believe Ken Liu won that year for short story mm-hmm. and and well deserved much I would have been I would have been like my, my entire acceptance speech would have been thank you you are all high and then yeah. walked off the stage uh, so speaking of movie adaptations of fictitious works uh, do you have any personal favorite kind of TV or movie adaptations when it comes to sci-fi and fantasy it seems like there's so many of them now um, well, and that's a very good thing. You yes, know, absolutely. Yeah. Certainly for someone like me, you know, they're like, hey, can we adapt your thing? Like, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, you know, well, uh, most recently, the Expanse series has done a terrific right. job uh, of doing this thing. Um, so I thought they've, they've done a very good job. And it's really interesting because some of the best adaptations are not faithful. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think of Blade Runner, which is mm-hmm. an absolute classic, right. or is considered an absolute classic. It was actually kind of an underwhelming performer when it actually came out. But now it's just absolutely, everyone is like, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It has very little to do with uh, Do Android's Dream of the Electric Sheep. Right. Um, and, and so I think that's, it's a great adaptation in, in one sense that it makes the point that an adaptation into film mm-hmm. is not necessarily always going to be 100% faithful to the book, yeah. but you can still create something that's very interesting. Now, here's a contentious one, that because I like it, but um, it's the, the Starship Troopers, a 1997 version by sure. Paul Verhoeven. Um, and um, if you ever want to get like true Heinland uh, fanboys foamy, you know... <laughs> go oh i like that i like that uh, movie and this is the way that i square that particular circle mm-hmm. which is i say there's a very very good heinlein novel that is called starship troopers coincidentally <laughs> <laughs> there's a very good 1997 paul verhoven film oh, called starship troopers mm-hmm. and uh between the two of them you know, you, you get a lot of uh, a lot of interesting perspective. Um, I and I totally understand why the Heinlein fanboys are enraged, um, but at the same time, um, again, knowing what I, I uh, what I believe about adaptations, that mm-hmm. you don't always have to be incredibly faithful to do a good adaptation. Right. Um, I think they could have done uh, much much worse. And you know, here's the here's the fact, which is when the movie came out. Uh, Starship Troopers, the book, went back into the bestseller charts. Yeah. So, you know, it that helped. To happen. It, that it does tend happen. to happen. Yes. That does tend to happen. So kind of going back to um, earlier when you said that this is the first time you've actually started knowing it's going to be a series. Right. Are there any of your other standalone books that you've considered writing sequels to? Quentin specifically wants to know uh, Red Shirts or Android's Dream? Well, Android's Dream, I did start writing a sequel. I was contracted for a sequel to that. And in fact, I wrote the first chapter, which eventually became a standalone short story called Judge Zen Goes Stop uh, Goes uh, Golfing, uh, which is one of my favorite things I've ever written. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem was, and this is kind of a spoiler for Android's Dream, but then again, it came out like 10 years ago, so it's well, your own... Statue limitations. Yeah, yeah, it's your own yeah. fault if you haven't read it, <laughs> um, which is at the end of the story, um, the hero's problems are absolutely solved. Like, his girlfriend is the richest woman in the world, uh, and uh, his best friend is a computer that 
you know, runs an entire planet. Mm -hmm. And so when I started writing the sequel with uh, Harry Creek as the uh, protagonist, um, it basically was a series of circumstances that did not allow him to get in contact with either of those two. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I was writing, I realized that I wasn't writing a story. I was writing a, like I said, a series of circumstances. And I could have written it and I could have put it out and it would have been okay. Um, And some people would have liked it and some people wouldn't have liked it. But I would have known that it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so when that first bad review would come out, which they inevitably do because every book gets bad reviews, right. I would normally, I'm like, well, you know, I did as well as I can do with this. So if you don't like it, that's fun. Mm-hmm. But this one, if I, knew, if I knew it was bad or that it wasn't as good as it could be, when those negative reviews started coming out, I would have to be like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I canceled that book. I called up my editor. And I was like, I can't write this. It's not good. Uh, I'm going to give you another old man's work book instead, and he was like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> sure, I guess that's fine. Totally. Yeah, yeah, no, right. keep writing those. Bye. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you no. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no. So as far as that goes, um, I'm not likely to. It's not on my schedule to write mm-hmm. a sequel to uh, the Android's Dream. I would like to go back to the universe because I really enjoyed it. But if I do, I would think it'll be short stories or novellas or something like that. Mm-hmm. Red shirts. I don't really see how you write a sequel to that one. Um, because, um, basically I, it, that one ends with, you know, me as an author basically showing all the cards, right? right? So it's, it's hard to do that. Now I think what people want is they don't really necessarily want, um, a sequel in those cases. What they want is another book that makes them feel like they felt when they read red shirts or Android's dream or whatever. Um, and in that case, I mean, that's certainly possible i mean i like writing funny stuff um so that is indeed something that i suspect i will be doing in the future not a probably not a direct sequel to either of those books but um stuff that if you like those two books you will like the Mm -hmm. what i'm writing like for example the collapsing empire to bring it back around (laughs) it just came out please get it please go (laughs) please go check that out it's available from march 21st on right um so and we can omit this we can delete it we can edit it out you can tell us you plead the fifth uh we've seen some things that old man's war might be turned into a tv series on sci-fi is that something you're allowed to talk about at this time well yeah i mean it's been it's been a very long development period we started with uh movie um adaptation they went through a couple of uh, screenplay drafts. The option was about to expire for that, so they said, let's make it a TV series yeah. instead. So they did that. They've done a couple passes at it again. Um, it's still in development. Mm-hmm. They're still shopping it around. Um, these things take time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, is that um, I have a number of things that are in development. I mean, we have The Old Man's War that's in development. Red Shirts is in development right now at FX. Uh, we just announced last week that um, Collapsing Empire has been optioned by Working Title Films, or their television arm. Um, And, um, you know, the thing that you learn, I mean, the very first time you get someone who wants this, we want to adapt it, you're like, I'm going to Hollywood! (laughs) Woohoo! And then eventually you realize it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. 99 out of 100 of the things that get optioned don't get made. And at any point in the process, a big trap door can open and the thing falls down mm-hmm. and it's never heard from again. There was recently a TV series that was in production. It had been greenlit and they'd made like two or three episodes. Um, and then the studio was like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. So yeah. literally, like, they have episodes mm-hmm. in the can. Mm-hmm. And it will never be seen by anyone. So literally, I tell people, the time to get excited about any sort of 
uh, adaptation news um, is when you are literally seeing it on the screen <laughs> right. with your own exactly. eyeballs. Yeah. Because right up until yeah. that moment, they can pull the plug. They can pull the plug. Yeah. So, you know. Um, so, yeah, these things are in development. Um, they will happen or they won't. Um, the nice thing for me is that they have to pay me anyway. Yeah. You know, um, which is great because my daughter just got accepted to college. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and uh, so that's where college tuition is coming Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Thank you, Hollywood. That was, that was more of an answer than I thought I would get. So that's perfect. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So at the end of every episode, we do what we call the Nerd Nine. Okay. Which are sort of rapid fire. They're not. But don't put they too much thought into them. Rapid fire. So just go with it. Okay. What's the last book you finished reading? Uh, Obelisk Gate by M.K. Jemison. Uh, your favorite place to read? Uh, home. Do you have a guilty pleasure? No, I don't feel guilty about my pleasures. You are the th- I love that answer, and it, we keep getting it because authors are awesome. I love that answer. Um, one place you'd like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? Uh, New Zealand. Favorite holiday? Halloween. Nice answer. Nice. That's a good answer. Everybody favorite. likes Halloween. I know they do, but it's not always everyone's favorite. Do you, do you want to hear my Halloween story? Well, now we have yeah, to. Yeah, we have oh, okay. to. Yeah, you can't offer that and then have us say no. It's like, no, we don't want to hear it. We, got, we have to get, these are rapid fire answers. We have to get through them. Um, so back in uh, 1992, I used to be a film critic, uh, and I went on a press junket in San Francisco for Disney mm-hmm. and a bunch of films that they were doing. And one of them was a little stop motion film that they were filming <gasps> called... Never before Christmas. So we went to the studio in uh, San Francisco where it was actually being filmed. What? And we saw all the little sets, and they're about the size oh of this God. table right here. So I have literally no way. been to Halloween Town. No. But wait, no, it gets better. Oh, oh, okay, continue. ready? Because <laughs> so jealous. You right guys, now? you guys, I'm making them so jealous oh, here. It's, it's, oh, it's going to get much worse. Oh, okay, so we go and we have the press conference, mm-hmm. which is uh, Henry Selig, yep. who is the mm-hmm. director, uh, Tim Burton, who's the producer and mm-hmm. the writer, uh, and um, Danny Elfman, oh. who's the musician. Oh, Danny. Right. And so Danny Elfman, and they want to show us a little clip of mm-hmm. the thing in progress. Um, and they've got the music, but they don't have the, the song. So Danny Elfman goes up and sings to us live Jack's Lament. Are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. This is, this is the story I tell all emos and goths to make them super, <laughs> I, super jealous. I actually have part of a Nightmare Before Christmas quote on, on tattooed on my body for my wife. I, God, I'm so jealous. Oh, uh, there you go. All right, so that's my, that's my Halloween story. Unbelievable. Continue the question, Joe. <laughs> Are you a coffee or a tea drinker? I am neither. Coke Zero. Oh, all right. Cats or dogs? Cats. Thank you. Two in a row. She's a cat <laughs> person. A I'm a dog running. person. I mean, I have a, a cat. I had three cats and a dog. You were so confident in your answer. It's okay. You, don't please, have to apologize. you know, the thing is, I don't mean to patronize, but I'm just saying cats. It's fine. Yes, yes, you know, I have, I, my I cats agree. have their own Twitter uh, feed, right? The Scamper yes, Beasts. Yes. They have 10,000 followers. Just, oh, my God. Right. Uh, favorite food? Uh, burritos. If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? My wife. Perfect answer. All right, our last question for you before we let you go. What do you hope readers take away from reading your books? I hope they enjoy themselves. I mean, that's honestly what I want them to do. I want them to pick them up. I want them to read and have a good time and enjoy the characters and the events that are going on. When they close them, close it up, they feel like they haven't wasted their time. And hopefully they'll want to read another one. Up until the very end, it was an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a blast. Thank you. Thank you. 
Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.